You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robin. Well, welcome to City Church Downtown. In case you're new with us, we've been in this conversation over the past few Sundays about the different generations, and we've said that the visions of the young and the dreams of the old create the beauty of the future. So rather than uh, having this generational tension and infighting, we've said, let's lock arms together as the older generation joins with and empowers the younger generation, and the younger generation loves the older generation, we create a more beautiful future for our city and for our world. And so before we study today, how about we just put a hand out in a position to receive, and let's talk to God for a minute through prayer and ask Him to speak to us today. Father, we welcome you here by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. And we open our hearts, we open our minds to receive from you. We don't think we know it all or we don't think we have it all together, but we're humbling ourselves before you to learn from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, younger generations, if you want to in any way influence older generations, don't just watch what they do, but learn how older generations think and learn what makes them feel. So put yourself in their shoes for just a minute when you look at advertisements. We look at advertisements, they typically make uh, aging look like the worst thing ever, doesn't it? So uh, you can see older people that are featured in different ads on television or the internet, and basically you only see older people advertising things like denture cream or like Depends undergarments, or here's my favorite one, right? Uh, It's the Life Alert. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up, you know? Remember this commercial? Uh, So it makes you feel like if you age, it's like you're going to be laying on the ground and you're going to have to push a button for someone to come and rescue you while you're laying on the ground, right? Uh, But also understand how older generations think because most of your parents and grandparents, they uh, had as cultural metaphors, symbols, and slogans that came from a Judeo-Christian background. So let me show you a few cultural slogans that most of your parents and grandparents grew up with. Uh, Things like the blind leading the blind, uh, by the skin of your teeth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, uh, there's a fly in the ointment. All of these slogans, they came from the Bible. Now, I started noticing that there was this divide between the generations and the cultural slogans a few years ago, just before Jay Leno retired, and he was doing these street interviews with people, and he would go out on the streets, and he would ask people these questions about the Bible. And he went out, and he asked younger generations, uh, tell me just one of the Ten Commandments. And this one younger person said, freedom of speech. By the way, that's not in the Bible, even though it's a great thing, freedom of speech. And then he continued his street interviews, and he asked this one younger guy, uh, he's like, hey, man, who's the Bible character that was swallowed by a whale? And the guy was so confident in his answer, and he was like, Pinocchio. Had to be Pinocchio, right? So Jay Leno uh, and all the baby boomers, they laughed when that show aired you know? But younger generations, a lot of them, thought to themselves, hey, we're intelligent people, but we didn't grow up with all those stories and with all those metaphors. And so we, you know, it's just not as funny to us. But also understand, younger ones, that your parents or grandparents, they think in a linear and mostly logical uh, 
way. So linear and logical thing, things go one, two, three, four, right, in order and logically. And this plays out in television shows and the way people view story and the way people consume media. So let me illustrate this with a few television shows. I want you to uh, raise your hand if you know what show this theme song belongs with. Go ahead. Okay, we all know that's what? Happy Days. It kind of gives it away in the show. That's not a hard one, you know. It says Monday, Tuesday, Happy Days, you know. So anyways, uh, that show was like this linear narrative, and it resolved, the storyline resolved at the end of every episode. You know, Fonz would come in and save the day. Hey, you know, he was all cool, sticking his thumbs up right off with his leather jacket on his motorcycle and everything was cool. Um, But people would watch it. Check this out, young people. They would watch that show, Happy Days, which, by the way, it was released in the 1970s and it was retroing back to the 50s, wasn't it? And check this out. This is the interesting part, young people. Most people would watch it on a network TV channel through what's called over-the-air TV, okay? I remember the first time that my kids saw an over-the-air TV antenna. They're like, what? You mean to tell me TV like goes through the air and it goes into that antenna and down through there into our TV? It's magic, okay? Uh, It is cutting-edge stuff. Now, let me let you listen to another TV theme song and you raise your hand when you know uh, what show this belongs with. Go ahead. What would you do if I sang? Out of tune, would you stand up and walk out on me? Loving it. Okay, you guys know that that is what? The Wonder Years, isn't it? And The Wonder Years was a great show because it was aired in the 1980s and it was retroing back to the 60s. Remember that? And it was also like Happy Days, it was a linear story that most of the time, not always, but most of the time resolved the story at the end of the episode. And so, you know, Kevin would be all worked up about Winnie Cooper and finally she would be nice to him and say hi and talk to him, give him a hug or whatever. And it resolved the tension that was going on in that particular episode. Now check this out. By the time the Wonder Years came out, people were watching that show. They could watch it on a major network, on over-the-air TV or through a cable signal cable TV coming into someone's home. So you see things are starting to progress and to change. Now, raise your hand if you know the name of this next show we're going to let you listen to the theme song for. Everybody's like, yes, that is called Stranger Things, right? Okay, things started to change a lot, didn't at this point in the game in uh, television because Stranger Things is not a linear narrative, but the storylines are stacked on top of each other and they don't resolve at the end of every episode, but rather the storyline is going to resolve at the end of the what? The season. So you, you, you go through the whole season and each episode is going backwards in time and concurrent with time and there are several storylines stacked uh, in one particular episode. Now, how do people watch it? Well, you can't watch Stranger Things on over-the-air TV or through a cable signal, but you have to stream it, right, on, on Netflix. So why does this matter? 
Well, younger ones understand that for some reason, older generations want to pay more money for cable TV when you have chosen to cut the cord, cut the cable so that you can afford to just pay for your internet and your network streaming. But here's what I want to recommend to you. Never allow your parents or grandparents to cut cable because if you do that, then you will not be able to log in through their account via the internet and watch important sporting events on ESPN unless, of course, you ponied up to 20 bucks that it takes for, you know, uh, one of those streaming services, you know, like Sling TV. And so never, ever let them cut the cable. You see what I mean? But in church, here's why this is important for us, because it affects the way that we plan these services and that we create our sermons. So if you rewind in history, you could go back to like 1715, or rather, that's actually 1517, when Martin Luther nailed up what's called the 95 Thesis, and that was basically a 95-point sermon. How many of you want to listen to me for 95 points, okay? I know that's not happening. So you fast forward to like the 60s and 70s, and Billy Graham popularized what's called the three-point sermon. And today, our sermons really don't have a point, but here's what we do. is that we have multiple stories stacked on top of each other. We're not just going to tell one Bible story all the time, but we're going to stack multiple Bible stories on top of each other along with our stories. And they may not always resolve the whole thing in one service, but we'll have one big idea that brings it all together in a series, the visions of the young and the dreams of the old create the beauty of the future. You see how it works? there. Uh, So I'm middle-aged now, and in some ways I connect and resonate with older generations. In some ways I connect and resonate with younger generations. And my role today is to really kind of create a bridge between older and younger generations. And um, I want to help you understand the older ones, young ones. And what I want you to understand also, younger ones, is I'm not going to be talking down at you and saying you're a bunch of snowflakes who need a pat on the back and a participation trophy. I'm not going to say that to you today, younger generations. I want to tell you why. Uh, Who was it that created the idea of the participation trophy? Was it kids? No, it sure wasn't. So those little league kids didn't like decide they all wanted trophies and then go buy said trophies and give them to themselves. But it was adults' idea. And then adults take the same trophy that the adults had the idea for, went and purchased, and use it to shame younger generations and call them weak. Let me tell you a little secret. Every generation thinks that the generation behind them is weaker. It's just the way things work. Younger generations, you're not weaker. I'm here to tell you that today. And you're going to think that the next generation is weaker. You are strong in different ways, see? So I don't want to uh, talk down to you about participation trophies, but what I did was I asked people from older generations who were wise, because how many of you know that all people who are older are not wiser, okay? I asked people that I believe to be wise what they wanted younger generations to know, and then I'll filter that through the Bible and add to that uh, scripture uh, that I think is wise for younger generations to learn. And what I heard over and over and over again from wise older people is that today, people don't honor each other. People are so disrespectful. We could go on and on and on about this in politics and the media and all that kind of stuff, right? That people just don't respect each other anymore. If you can learn the concept of honor, it will take you a long way in life, younger generations. 
And I have this friend named Mark Roy who said it to me like this, honor is the currency of heaven. Would you say that big idea with me out loud as I point to you? You ready? Honor is the currency of heaven. And Jesus wanted to teach his younger disciples this concept of honor. And when they went and visited his village, uh, which was in the Nazareth area, look at what Jesus says in Mark 6, 4. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is what? He's honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And look, dishonor and unbelief go hand in hand. And those two things limit kingdom outcomes. So younger people, do you want to see the miraculous hand of God at work in your life? Learn not just belief, but also honor, honor for other people. Um, Younger generations, I want you to experience the greatest that you can for God. And the only way to do that is to honor older generations. And we're going to scratch the surface as we take a a brief tour through the scriptures today. And I want to take you all the way back to Leviticus and the Torah of the Bible. We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. It says, You shall stand up before the gray head and what? Honor Honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord, your God. And then if you fast forward to the New Testament of the Bible, you'll see Paul uh, mentoring his younger protege, Timothy, and explaining to Timothy how as a young person, you're supposed to interact with older generations. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 5, 1. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him, how? Respectfully, as you would to your own father. Now, if you talk bad at your own father, then change that and speak respectfully. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. See, it's all about honor and honor is such a big deal that it should be like a competition Go with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Such a big deal that we want to like be competitive with it and try and outdo other people in the way that we show honor to others. Now, who is it that benefits from all this honor? Younger generations? Let me answer that for you in Ephesians where Paul talks about uh, honoring parents. Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And what's that word? Honor Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with who? With you. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so honor is not just to benefit the older people that you're trying to honor, but according to the scriptures, honor benefits you. It helps you to thrive in your own life. Now, look, I understand that respect is earned, but honor is given. And even if someone seems unrespectable, we can honor them and change the game. Because if we just keep dishonoring each other, is is anything ever going to change? Even if it's people that we disagree with, respect is earned, but honor is given. And younger generations, you want more authority and more power to make decisions, don't you? And so what you do is be faithful 
with the responsibilities that have been delegated to you, even if it's just doing your chores at home, be faithful with those responsibilities and honor your parents and honor teachers and honor managers that you have at your job who are older than you, and then they'll be more likely to entrust you with more authority and more decision-making powers, see? And if you lead younger people and you want to see them thrive, learn as much as possible to delegate authority. Don't just delegate tasks. Because if you only delegate tasks, you create followers. If you delegate authority, that's what creates a leader. And so older ones delegate as much authority as possible, and younger ones learn to be faithful in tasks and honor those who are older. Now, another concept that older people went on about was uh, the currency of courage. If honor is the currency of heaven, then the currency of courage releases rewards, because there is no reward without risk right? Faith and risk are like the same thing. In fact, in the Bible days, it could cost you your life. It was a risk to follow Jesus because it cost you your life. It's not just about embarrassment. So go with me to Matthew 10, 39, where Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, then you'll find it. See, we follow Jesus to the point of even risking our lives. But look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, in, it is impossible to please God without what? Faith. faith. And faith and risk are the same thing. We never experience God without faith and risk putting ourselves out there. Now, look, is your, is your idea of risk and adventure something younger people that you're looking at on a screen while you're sitting on the couch? That's not risk. Life is meant to be experienced. There's nothing wrong with looking at screens, but... According to Time Magazine, 79% of Americans haven't done anything adventurous in the past five years. And what you will learn from the Maryland Psychological Research Center and Dr. Glenn Williams, he said, man was not created to be safe. If there's no risk or danger in his life, then he'll create it somehow. And that is why people go to theme parks and they ride roller coasters. And that is why people pay to go bungee jumping and skydive and ride Harleys and ride those little bird scooters around downtown San Antonio. Uh, because where there is no risk, we create it because we're made for risk, see? And without risk, you don't feel alive. And let's be a people group that encourage each other to take risks and experience life. You know what I'm saying? So like some years ago, I wanted these couple of teenagers that were in uh, uh, our ministry group to experience life. And so I took them to Fiesta, Texas. And we we're going to ride this ride called the Screaming Sky Coaster that they used to have back in those days. And I brought a couple of pictures of it. It's basically this big swing and they would crank you up in a harness with three people in the harness to the top. It's like 180 feet up there. And then a guy gets on a megaphone and he says, one, two, three, fly. And then someone on fly is supposed to pull the rip cord so that you can fall, free fall for 90 feet. And then you start to swing out. So I wanted these two teenagers, Bryce and Heather, to have a good experience on this and experience life. You know what I'm saying? So I had the ripcord. They start cranking us up there. We get about halfway up there. I think I can see Del Rio from there. And then <laughs> they cranked us up to the top. It's like 180 feet up there. And I could swear I'm seeing people cross the border down from Mexico, <laughs> you know. And then 
dude at the bottom gets on the megaphone and he's doing the countdown, right? And so I'm ready with the rip cord. And when he says one, we all say one. And I pulled the cord and I said, oh my goodness, something's gone wrong. And we're falling, right? And we're screaming. It's like, Still have scars on my arm <laughs> from where Heather dug into my arm with her leap press on nails. <laughs> I want to assure you, <laughs> Bryce and Heather felt fully alive <laughs> in that experience, as did I. That's why I love when Humby and I'll drive out to city youth camp and I'll see our students jumping off poles and off zip lines. And the reason that Robbie and the team encourage our students in risk to jump off these things is because it transfers in life. If you can muster up the courage to jump off a zip line, then perhaps someday you can muster up the courage to initiate a conversation with one of your friends about Jesus. If you can muster up courage, you can get the ability to like get in a car and learn how to drive it. If you can draw from the currency of courage, then someday perhaps you can have the ability to start up a business and create jobs for other people and realize your career dreams. But you'll never do it if you sit in fear. Life is on the other side of a risk because honor is the currency of heaven. Now look at this last idea. Older generations wish younger ones understood the currency of the clock. The clock is ticking, isn't it? Even though we don't want to face that. And I'm going to read to you seven verses from a very wise individual. His name was Solomon. So younger people, can you hang with me for a, a whole seven verses? Check this out. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse one. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and no longer enjoy living. It will be too late then to remember him when the light of the sun and the moon and stars is dim to your old eyes and there's no silver lining left among the clouds. Your limbs will tremble with age and your strong legs will grow weak. Your teeth will be too few to do their work and you will be blind too. And when your teeth are gone... <laughs> Keep your lips tightly closed when you eat. Even the chirping of birds will wake you up. But you yourself will be deaf and tuneless with a quavering voice. You will be afraid of heights and of falling, white-haired and withered, dragging along without any sexual desire. You will be standing at death's door, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. There's a pick-me-up for you today, right? That's what you got to look forward to. Your teeth are falling out, you lose your sex drive, and then you die, okay? That's encouragement from church today. But you know, he's telling us what I think we already know, isn't he? And I'll tell you this, I've watched men and women that to me seemed invincible, strong. People I thought, they'll always be there. And I've watched age and disease weaken some of the strongest people I've ever known. We don't like to talk about it, but we all intuitively know that it's true. And that's why 
Solomon goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 11, 9, young man, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, you must give an account to God for everything you do. And I've watched younger people over the years, and I've watched many who are in middle school and high school, and they think to themselves, man, I'm going to wait to serve God, really, because after all, this time of my life is kind of embarrassing, and I don't want to add another embarrassment factor to it. So I don't want, like, my friends to know that I'm into Jesus, because if I do that, and if I really follow Jesus, uh, they'll think I'm weird. And after all, uh, I want to kind of party a little bit. I want to look at whatever websites I want to look at. I want to get in these, you know, all these crazy chat rooms and stuff like that. Um, but I'll put off God until later when I'm lame like my parents, you know? I'll just put it off till then, but while I'm in middle and high school, I'm gonna kind of do my own thing. And they postpone following God and the years will go by and you get into your 20s and 30s and at that time of your life, here's what you think. You think, you know, I gotta establish my career I want to do my thing. I need to meet my spouse and I need to have the 2.5 kids and get a house and a dog. And uh, I, I'm working real hard at that. And I'll put God off till later when I don't have anything to do. I don't have anything better to do. And people put off really following God. And then people get in their 40s and 50s and you've already achieved some things, you have a home and you think to yourself, you know, I've worked hard, so I deserve to just blow off God on Sundays and go to the lake and spend some time there relaxing. I'll serve God, I'll worship God, I'll really get into God later when I'm retired and I don't have anything else to do. And then people in their retirement age perhaps they start to follow God and with years they gain some wisdom and then they think to themselves, oh no. I wasted all the years when I had the energy to follow God. Why did I wait? Why did I waste those years? I can't buy that time back. Time is a precious commodity. And you can't get it back, younger people. It's like an older gentleman told me when I preached my first sermon, I was 17 years old, and Harry came up to me and he said, Doug, God saves an old man's soul, but he saves a young man's life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come when you don't enjoy living anymore. You know, this is why I would encourage you to live the abundant life in Christ, the life of faith and excitement now while you're young, experience childlike faith. Now, this is why Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, indeed, the right time is when? Yeah. Now, today is the day of salvation because of the currency of the clock. I watched one of my heroes die of cancer. It's my father-in-law, Dr. James Sammons. I called him Pop. And I'd already watched my wife cry about a million tears as she watched her dad continued to deteriorate and he tried to comfort her as she cried. And he said, you know, Jeannie, I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus, going to go be with the Lord. And she said, dad, you know, I just want you here. And I'd already watched both of my kids go into that dimly lit room where he laid in hospice care. 
And they told him, Papa, we love you. Papa, we're going to miss you. And after all that was done, it was my time. And I'll never forget the scene there. It was kind of dim in the room. And I pulled out something that I'd carefully typed up. It's called a living eulogy. I wanted to honor this great man before he passed on to heaven. I wanted him to know before he left. And I was kind of fighting back the tears, you know. I was leaking significant amounts of testosterone through my eye sockets, you know. And I was just trying to maintain the composure to like make it through this. And here are just a few of the things that I read to him that particular evening. I said, Pop, in the darkest times of my life, you were a picture of God's grace and love to me. Pop, my kids will have these great memories of catching crabs and playing in the sand at Orange Beach and going to incredible pizza with you and the rest of the family. Pop, thank you for giving me all those tools that I never used until I had to when we bought an old home that we were restoring in downtown San Antonio. And I said, Pop, one of my favorite possessions, one of my favorite conversation pieces in our old home is this antique candlestick phone that you and I together wired into a lamp. I'll never sell it. You couldn't buy this lamp from me for a million dollars because of the loving hands that helped create it. And I went on, I said, Pop, I want you to know all the ways that I hope to be like you. I said, you've walked with God and studied his word as long as I've known you. You've served God through your local church your entire adult life. You were present for your family to a fault. In fact, he was present for his family working on the details of his own death to make that transition smoother for his wife and his entire family. I said, you live beneath your means in order to be generous to God's kingdom causes. You're one of the most intelligent men I've ever known personally, yet you continue to read and learn and ask questions. You've been all I could have asked for in a father-in-law and much, much more. Was well, I spoke at Pop's memorial service after he passed away, people filled the room and I gave opportunity for people to share pleasant memories of his life. And those people could have gone on for days talking about the practical ways that he had served them. And I tell you why, because James Sammons understood the currency of the clock. And when he passed to heaven, his light shined all the brighter because he understood that honor is the currency of heaven. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.